It feels weird not wearing headphones for this, but we don't have to. Oh, you didn't tell me. (laughs) I'm wearing headphones. And we had a whole conversation about how I wasn't going to have my headband on. And you just let me do it. I'm keeping them. I'm keeping them for all time's sake. Hello and welcome to Cruising Through Doomsday, a podcast about (laughs) Doctor Who Doomsday. And it's finally over! My name's Philip Whelan, my pronouns are he and him. My name's Georgia Harper, my pronouns are she and her. And yes, the Bastille reference in the title was my idea. And that's probably going to be the last time I say that, which is weird. It really is. Unless they bring back Doom for, for the specials in any capacity... Which would be funny, but also it would mean extra work for us, despite the fact that that we're clearly booked for every weekend in December. So, as uh, as you record this, uh, it is Saturday the 25th of November. We're recording this before the specials air, you know, just in case Doom turns up, because that would create more work for us. Um, but it will be chaos. It, it will be chaos. It would. Uh, Alas, it may, I think, uh, conflict with some, like, BBC licensing rules uh, about, like, because people are paying the licence fee for the Doctor Who specials, they can't be also made to make other purchases. Um, Look, Beep the Meep was from the comic strip. He he was, but have you considered Beep the Meep is a cuddly-wuddly-woo and I can fix him? From the war crimes, Georgia. Yes, from the war crimes. So, um, we made it. We Five have. months later, we've made it. Um, so much has changed in our lives since this podcast. I, for one, I have enjoyed making this podcast so much that I've actually moved into the podcasting studio. It's certainly something. Um, I, I didn't realise that you could move in with someone just for the podcasting studio, but here we are. It's it's important. It's important. Um, and, of course, the entire economy and all of our monetary purchases and all values of things are now measured in 1099s. Uh, yes, including the uh, 1099 flake, which I think this time next year uh, is actually going to be the price for a 99 flake. Possibly. Um, 99 flakes, I don't think they're called that because they have a 99p. I think that refers to the number of flakes in, in the box or something. But it will still cost £10.99. Yeah. Um, genuinely, by the way, like that's not just a bit for the podcast. In life, I will now measure things by saying, oh, that's three issues of the June 2023 Doctor Who magazine. Uh, this podcast has broken me. It's, it's such a niche thing. Like I think some of her friends might have started doing this jokingly as well. I, I don't know to what extent. Well... We're influencers now, Philip. Oh, no! I'm so sorry. <laughs> no! <laughs> okay. So, okay. Doomsday. Okay. Doomsday, yes. Um, I enjoyed the back half of it. Uh, I didn't enjoy some of the 
crap that happened in in the front half of it, especially the phone game. Oh, we'll 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 get on yeah. to the phone game. Uh, I mean, I yeah. I enjoyed ranting about the phone game. Yes, like no, I that was say, fun. I would say that I enjoyed this experience of going through Doomsday, um, which. As like a separate thing from the quality of each of the pieces of media, yeah. which definitely improved towards the end. Oh, oh, definitely. And honestly, even even with some of the media being clearly rushed and or unfinished and or just lazy as all get out, it was still an interesting concept to do essentially a mini Doctor Who, but it's real time and 24 hours. Mm. Um, so you sort of get the feeling of Doom can get into all sorts of weird scrapes and adventures because she needs to run away from literal death and she can only hang around one place for an hour. Well, sometimes it's literal death. Sometimes it's a vague feeling. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, almost like the corporate partners weren't talking to each other. I I think, you know, it's, it's definitely something that was tried in Doctor Who, mainline Doctor Who, uh, once and Mainline they never tr- Doctor Who and and they never actually tried it again. R- remember forty two? Yes, I do remember forty two. It was uh, it was written by um, Chris Chibnall, that man who broke into your house and burnt your toast. Yes, um, yes, exactly. And as such, um, we're not allowed to, to talk about it because that would be spoilers. Um, mm, it no. would be, yes. Um, no, 42 is a good episode. Yeah. And I am kind of glad they, yeah, revisited this kind of concept. As you say, like, the 24 concept is brilliant. I think, unfortunately, taking Doomsday as a whole, it was kind of let down by, as you say, the corporate partners not talking to each other and the fact that the story was essentially preordained by the first and last hours. I can see how they did that. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't want to put the end of a story or the beginning behind a paywall because that will prevent people from getting into the rest of it. But it, it meant that each of the corporate partners weren't able to progress the story very much with the obvious exception of uh, the crowd yeah. uh, at the end. And I guess Extraction Point obviously had a reveal. Uh, it made clear that it was the first Doctor um that would be at the end and because the corporate partners weren't talking to each other not only did doom not get to develop very much as a character but there were also like weird inconsistencies in what she had seen and what she knew and what her pronouns were um that that certainly (laughs) that certainly was a weird moment in in uh doomsday i do feel that some of these media were more equal than the others um Certainly, the novel and the big finish had a lot more sort of arc relevant yes. content, and the BBC audio was also produced to a much higher standard mm-hmm. than than some of the other media. I will say, like one thing that I've enjoyed, and perhaps doing this podcast has helped with it. Um, but one thing that I've enjoyed about following Doomsday as a whole is not just following you know the literal media and following mm-hmm. Doom's story, but 
also following the story of how this series was made. Yes. And the fact that it started off being presented a certain way, um, you know, the Doctor Who magazine and those interviews presented it in a certain way. And then it quickly became clear the partners weren't talking to each other. And you had, again, the pronoun um, debacle uh, yeah. with the penguin. And then you had, you know, in particular, the behind the scenes at Big Finish, where it became clear that, like, Sue's Kempner thought up Terry's voice on the fly. And the recording was as far as I can see, like, by big Finnish standards, quite rushed. Yeah. That's still a few months, but, you know, by my understanding, uh, particularly from, you know, our discussions with Bryn, was that big Finnish just usually takes years. So by their standards, it's quite rushed. I, and, also, yeah. I also think that this was perhaps one of the few times that big Finnish actually got everyone into the studio at the same time. The way I understand it, and I, I don't have a lot of experience with, with big Finnish, but the way I understand it is, like, it's quite an asynchronous process people sort of record bits and they're assembled over over those years and if you know how big finish is made and would like to correct us please get in touch at the social media links in the show notes (laughs) um because because people will yes um but yeah, I think it's really varied. Obviously, COVID um, really changed the way that it was made. And a lot of the big finish that I've listened to was essentially done from home in people's wardrobes. Um, but yeah, no, I definitely take the point. I guess the other thing to think about uh, in terms of the, I guess, the meta arc of the Doomsday Story mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want to dwell on it too much, but uh, we have talked about it in previous episodes. And I think it is worth dwelling on is the you know the fan response the kind of it wasn't very well received in part because of the flaws mentioned but also just the really obvious misogyny and the fact that it's quite difficult to you know I think mostly I've ignored it but like that sort of thing makes it really difficult to you know do a podcast critiquing Doctor Who Doomsday. Um. Yeah, and it, it's kind of, again, in, in microcosm, trying to engage with with some actual proper good faith critique of uh, mm. the Jodie Whittaker series. Mm-hmm. Same reason. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, really, really cool and good. It's a great time to be a woman in the Doctor Who fandom. Um, but... Yeah, no, it's, um, that has been quite eye-opening because I guess where this differs from the situation with the previous era of Doctor Who is that the previous era of Doctor Who was obviously in the mainline show. So even if you didn't like it, you still kind of had to put up with it. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is just an optional extra. Like, you can ignore this, but people didn't. They felt the need to obsessively comment on every post. And it's like, no, you can't say you're engaging in good faith criticism here. Um, Especially because, like, some of the kind of tropes that kept coming up are things that if you listen to Doomsday or even listen to this podcast or anyone actually talking about Doomsday, you know, kind of don't make sense. Like, there's this constant thing of, like, how is she the world's greatest assassin? This isn't believable. Which, like... It's absolutely believable. Not only is it sexist, it's also the point. Yeah. If, like, if you engage with, really, I would say, 
all of the doomsday media, with the obvious exception of the phone game, engage with this idea that it's because Doom is so unassuming yeah. that you don't realise until it's too late that she's put poison in your tea. So it's literally the point of the story. I, again, I, um, I think I think you, you have you have assassins like Agent Forty Seven or people like John Wick who will go into a room, just completely conspicuously shoot someone and fight their way out with no regard to collateral damage. But then you have assassins like Doom who who will sit down with you, have a chat, and quietly slip poison in your tea. Mm-hmm. And I think that the big problem uh, for Doom in character, in universe, is that she was increasingly asked to do assassinations that sort of went outside of those parameters that she was comfortable with. And yeah, that's why some of those things were slight, were done slightly less than competently, because she was doing stuff outside of her core oh, area of competence. Sorry, are you suggesting that a female lead can do things less than competently? But I, she's got look. to be perfect. <laughs> she has to be one hundred percent perfect at everything. And if she is one hundred percent perfect at everything, she's called overpowered. Um, source: I'm a Captain Marvel fan. Um, <laughs> it's cool. It's cool. I love being a woman. Um, anyway. Uh, Shall we talk briefly about the cost of Doomsday? Um, The cost of Doomsday. So the final running total, um, based on we tried to buy the physical media where we could and that sort of thing, um, and our final running total came to £75.87, plus the psychic damage from the phone game, which we'll get onto shortly, Mm. plus the psychic damage from the realisation that I avoid lots of everyday social interactions that will benefit me. That was a bit of an optional cost. You don't have to do that uh, to get into Doomsday. As a side note, listeners, uh, a little little peek behind the curtain here, Georgia is not reading this from a script. Every time she mentions the line about psychic damage from the realization etc etc she is doing this from memory and she's saying the exact same thing every time autism is a developmental condition (laughs) characterized by no um we realized one of the realizations we came to over the course of making this podcast though not actually related to this podcast but related to something else i am basically a large language model um, I just say things in the same way every time. The G in um, GPT stands for Georgia. <laughs> so um, as a large language model, um, I have stored in my memory that the £75.87 cost is roughly what you paid for this microphone. Is that right? Pretty much, yeah. yeah. It's kind of... Um, obviously, we have two microphones. You have a microphone each. Uh, Philip already had one because uh makes music. You can find it on Spotify. Uh, mm. But we needed a second one for this podcast and other reasons. And it was kind of... We had done some rough workings out of the costs in advance yeah. because everything, you know, yeah. everything was very well laid out. You can look up how much a new big finish is. You know. Unlike Time Lord Victorious. Un- unlike Time Lord Victorious. So, you know, we could look up how- roughly how much it was and we sort of knew that it was going to be about the same price. So kind of the the way things roughly yeah. worked was that Philip bought the mic and I bought the media and we, it would kind of work out in the end. What we were not factoring in 
was the fact that Doctor Who magazine would cost ten pound ninety nine. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it, it, it's it certainly um, shooketh me a little bit. <laughs> oh, it's it's it, yeah. Again, it's it's fundamentally upturned my view of economics. <laughs> it's 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 the Freddo of our times because Freddos are too expensive now and and actually kind of rubbish. <laughs> um. So. Yeah, £75.87 for this, which is not to be sniffed at. That's no. quite a lot of money. It it's, is... not, it's not as much as Time Lord Victorious. No. And again, this is kind of like the the medium package of Doomsday. You could save a bit of money by only going for digital editions of stuff. Uh, we wanted physical media yeah. where possible for if, the for the big Doomsday yeah. shrine that we have in our house. <laughs> if you want to, uh, if you want to remortgage your house, you could have got the vinyl. Uh, the the vinyls the were like they look quite nice. They did, yeah. but I, I didn't want to remortgage the no. house. No. Um, but like. Yeah, um, Time Lord Victorious, uh, I don't have it written down, and as a large language model, I cannot store numbers, um, but I think it was in the region of around £300 that uh, John Solway paid for it, but you have to think that includes like experiences, yes. it includes escape room, it includes time fracture, it includes... you probably have to book time fracture five times. Yeah, it includes <laughs> a lot of luck. Because Time Fracture was always either closed due to COVID or closed due to bad weather. Okay, so we sunk £75.87, pence plus the psychic damage from the phone game, plus the psychic damage from the realisation that I avoid lots of everyday social interactions that would otherwise benefit me, into this. Um, so let's talk about what we did and didn't enjoy. I mean, Philip, you've touched a little bit on this already. What were your highlights of Doomsday? Um, again, the, the highlights for me were the big finish, uh, the BBC audio, the novel, and the Missy comics. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd be inclined to agree with you. I think the ones that I have gone back to in my head the most, I would say the Extraction Point novel has actually, while it didn't necessarily feel like a highlight at the time, it's one that stuck with me because of all the interesting things that we did, Yeah, um, it, that, that it did in the story. And like, I remember the conversation we had with Will Shaw, where I came into that being like, I'm so clever, I spotted the, six, the season 6B reference, and Will was just like... Oh, my sweet summer child. <laughs> uh, there, yeah. are, there are novels you wouldn't believe. I've I've walked through references that were designed <laughs> by the mind of a madman. Um, but, like, obviously, it's kind of been the anniversary this week. And, you know, I've, I've been having conversations with friends about, like, where the Fugitive Doctor sits and Season 6B and so on. And I've been able to go, well, in this novel. And that's quite cool. I Yeah, I think that is quite cool. Um... Yeah, the novel is not what you might call necessarily a jumping on point to anything because it, well, I, okay, I keep kind of flip-flopping about this because, yes, you can absolutely enjoy it with just a baseline understanding of uh, New Who, or as, as is now called Doctor Who 2005 to 2022. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much Doctor There's Who. So much Doctor Who. There's so but, much Doctor Who. But 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 you wouldn't necessarily understand all of the novel if you didn't know at least some of the background information on classic Who. I mean, again, 
I don't think we understood all of the novel. No. And I've, you know, I've seen a fair amount of classic Who. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I know what season six B is, but oh, I didn't, I didn't remember what was it called, the Monsters Inside from two thousand and six or yes. something. Um, in terms of other things, I liked. Yeah, the big finish in the audio. Finally, getting to issues. Kemp Act was a highlight. Yeah. I would like to single out Dawn of an Everlasting Peace, both for the incredible story with. Um, I can't remember the character's name, but the toddler who yeah. kind of becomes an old man. Yeah. Um, I remember Ash Renton because he says that a lot, but that's his dad's name. Yes. Um, but like, it's just... Chlorin. Chlorin, that's yeah. the one. But it's just, that's a really beautiful story. And then to get to the end of it and be like, oh, this was actually all about the mostly missing 1966 serial, The Daleks Master Plan. Highlight the experience for me. Yeah. Um, and again, not necessarily required to realise that this is uh, all a, a sort of prequel to Dalek's Master Plan or sort of story set within the same setting. Uh, kind of does it better than Extraction Point, I guess. Um, coming back to, the, uh, to, to Extraction Point, I sort of gave it a bit of flack uh, in in the episode we did we did about the novel for being sort of assembled from notes that M G Harris had in in her drawer from from like 2016. It does work. It's it's a it's a fun enough story. It does have some, I guess, editorial issues with it, but you know. In 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 the day and age where AAA games launch with just completely game-breaking bugs on day one and require you to basically re-download the entire game to actually make it playable because they they press the discs back when it was just so broken. Um, yeah, I I think it's it's just a state of our of our entertainment industry in general. Well, as much as um, I really don't like this kind of phenomenon of AAA games basically coming out half made and you have to re-download it for them to be playable. At least they're playable eventually, mm-hmm. which is more than can be said perhaps for Doctor Who Lost in Time. Yes, Doctor Who Lost in Time, uh, a, a a game that sort of fulfills the minimum criteria of a game um, and exists solely to scam children into spending money on, on their parents' credit cards. Um, they, they did some doomsday stuff. I'm still trying to forget that. I uh, spotted... Um, uh, the other day, they're actually repeating the Doomsday events. We, so we deleted the app. I'll yeah. be honest. We're we're free. We're free. We've, we've transcended. <laughs> um, but there there are some people in the kind of university Doctor Who Society group chat I'm still in who are still playing. Uh, it was flagged the other day that the like in the notifications of the app are flagging some repeat events to come, mm-hmm. including Doomsday Part One on the seventh of December. And Doomsday Part 2 on the uh, 14th of December. Um, and it's all tied in with the 60th anniversary. So for the first, for Doomsday Part 1, you can win the Meep. And for mm-hmm. Doomsday Part 2, you can win 
Donna Noble bracket special close brackets. <laughs> Um, of course, in reality, you can't win those things because it's made deliberately impossible. Yes. But, you know, at least, like, it, it's come up a few times that Doomsday is impossible to complete because those um, phone game events are gone. So I guess I am quite pleased to see them returning. I d- <sighs> I'm not because Fair. they were crap. I, I like I like the I like the idea of of Donna Noble bracket special like she's some kind of a shiny Pokemon. <laughs> well, I assume like there is already a Donna Noble yeah, card, presumably, and I guess like they can differentiate between the tenth and fourteenth Doctor, but they can't really do that for Donna and yeah. Donna. I mean, if I was them, I would simply maybe choose a different character, like you know. Um, Yasmin Finney's Rose? That's on here. Yeah, she's on here. I just had a moment of, is Rose on here? But no, she is. She's one of the final characters that you can win. So I guess, you know, thinking about what little we know, uh, you know, Wrath Warrior is on here, Toy Maker is on here. Shirley Ann Bingham isn't on here. Hmm. Ruth Maidley. So that's one, that's an announced character they could have used. But even if, you know, or they could have, Waited because no one is waiting with bated breath for the lost in time events. Um, they could have waited and then announced something out of Wild Blue Yonder afterwards. Like, but look, look, someone out there will be very pleased to win Donna Noble special. I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure they will be. In terms of other media, um, one that I didn't talk about in our favorite media was the Missy Comics, which I think that would be what I would recommend to someone who maybe didn't want to get into full doomsday yes um like that's like as a standalone piece i think that works best in contrast um the the doctor who magazine supplement like the main thing the main thing we remember about it is the fact that it costs 10.99 and the fact that that's that's not exactly true what the the other thing i remember about this is that it had a story about killing the idea of unicron okay yeah there, there, there is that there is that but it's the fact that our one trailed storm cage and then we got a literally two-page, most of which was one panel, yeah. conversation that took place mostly in the dark between Doom and River Song about how they're both assassins. But Doom's actually already have p- completed her mission, so off she pops. I, it, that felt like a real letdown to me. And then she comes to Stormcage again in the Missy comics, because... But, but that one was good. Yes. They could have just put River in that one. Exactly. Um, <laughs> But this this is kind of, again, corporate partners not talking to each other. They were like, okay, uh, 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 what, what are we going to do? Stormcage. Just smash the Stormcage button. Yeah, I just, yeah. I think, I feel like the, the TWM supplement, like, they were given an impossible task of cramming four hours into 20 pages or something. Yeah. But I think it might have been less than that. And, you know, so I don't want to be too harsh, but like, God, that that first, like you're going straight out the blocks into nothing. Mm-hmm. Could have done it differently, right? You could have spread it out a little bit as a sort of add some additional comic strips to to the base Doctor Who magazine that would have actually also increased sales by all five people of 
more than just the one issue. There, there were, you know, you you could have made different choices. Yeah, and I guess, this. I guess, like, because you say five people, right? But obviously, Doctor Who magazine already has a really big audience yeah. of like existing subscribers and so on. So that perhaps would have been a better way to get them on side rather than here's one thing that you can just throw away or even if you don't, you'll forget about it next month. If you had something running, yeah, obviously for people who... And then they might have been tempted to go on and buy the Missy comics, for example. Yeah, exactly. Obviously you've got the kind of counter-argument is that for those people who aren't already DWM subscribers, it would force them to... Um, you know, pay out for multiple issues of the magazine. Yeah, however, but that's, that's the point. That's how, the exact point I'm trying to make here. However, <laughs> if that was a concern, then they simply would not have charged ten pounds ninety nine pence. I just, I just can't get over it. I can't. No. Ten pounds ninety nine pence. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, you 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 did touch briefly on on fandom response mm-hmm. to to Doomsday. Um, what what sort of stuck out to you the most from some of the hinged and unhinged discourse about Doomsday? Uh, well, in terms of hinged discourse about Doomsday, um, there's there's trap one. Yeah. Uh, Trap One have been covering it. I think Ben Mitchell's been on there yeah. a couple of times. Um, so uh, we've really been enjoying that. Um, and as ever, we remain grateful to the brave souls who shared Lost in Time screenshots <laughs> on Twitter, which has uh, died during the course of our podcast. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Our, our ever evolving social media sign off. Um, but, like, um, we are very grateful to those people. Um, Jamie at A Madman Not a Box has been our kind of primary source. Mm. Uh, so, big thank you. Um, so, you know, there's kind of the hinged discourse. I think. While Doomsday has not been especially popular, most people who have not been particularly enamoured through Doomsday for understandable reasons have then done the sensible thing, left it alone, gone back to the 500 other bits of Doctor Who that you can consume right now. Yes. You know, maybe... And then... Then you get the vitriol, and... I I wouldn't say there's anything that particularly stands out. I talked a little bit about the complete misunderstanding of Doom's character earlier. I think it's just the fact that, like, you know, this has been... Obviously, it's always been a problem in fandom spaces. It has very visibly been a problem over the past five years for obvious reasons that I think a lot of people have just not wanted to address because it's like, oh, well, on the one hand, you know, there's violent misogyny... On the other hand, oh, I wasn't too keen on the Saranga conundrum. So both sides, mm. like, and I think what this makes abundantly clear is that no, this is not about Chris Chibnall, um, who is not involved in this. No. Um, it's, you know, and this is why we see it again. We see it in Marvel. We see it in Star Wars. We see it in everything really it's certainly not a doctor who problem or even a you know a doomsday problem it's just you know it's 
really cool that this happens whenever there's a female lead. And obviously, the series has flaws, you know. Um, but, yeah, it's the fact that you have to be 100% perfect. And we've talked a little bit on the podcast before about, you know, them essentially throwing Suze Kempner to the wolves a little bit. of Like, let's rush something together and then this person and I think you know because she's very active Suze Kempner's very active on social media my understanding I you know I haven't deliberately done any digging into it but my understanding is she has taken quite a lot of personal <laughs> abuse over this which is you know it's not yeah good. It's not so cool. I think there's a wider conversation there about the role of I guess the corporate partners in the BBC in that and the kind of responsibilities they have but you know, I'm not an expert. That's for that's for people who are smarter than us uh, to figure out. But you know, don't harass people online. No, don't don't do that. And I wonder if if there's a certain amount of maybe duty of care is is a strong phrase, but something along these lines. I'm I'm just thinking about how. Some games with with large and, and vocal communities, like the studios will actually employ community managers for, mm. for those games to sort of run comms and potentially also to a certain extent moderate some of the uh, at least first party um, discussions to try and reduce problems and... and call out unacceptable behavior and i'm not sure if doctor who has had that and i'm not yeah. sure if if the bbc have really managed the discussion in any way and if they would even want to because it's also a liability yeah. for them again i would direct you to the past five years mm -hmm. um and Obviously, again, the mainline show, the stakes are much, much higher. Um, so, you know, um, they haven't managed the response around that especially well. So why would they for this? Yeah. And I guess, like, yeah, you make a good point that it's also just something that comes with fandoms with big communities. And while I've been talking about the misogynist aspect of it, it's there, you know, but by no means are men involved in Doctor Who exempt from harassment, unfortunately. You know, try being Stephen Moffat. Like, you mm -hmm. know, it's not, it does go wider than just, I guess there's a wider sense of like, we can have conversations about f fandom entitlement and so on. So I think it, yeah, it, it does what, go what wider to, than that, but yeah. What comes to mind is uh, a, a recent debacle, including an ex-high energy member. <laughs> Oh, I feel like when you say that, it reminds me of, you know, that Wikipedia page that comes up if you type in 2022 UK government crisis <laughs> and it says, oh, did you mean the one in July, the one in September or the one in October? I feel like if you type scandal into TARDIS wiki, it will do the same. It'll be like, oh, do you mean this week's or last week's? Um, yeah, and it's kind of it's a tricky one because I think do we, do we want to actually name it on the on the thing? Should I bleep this out? Oh will, yeah, that's a really. Will good point. we get bullshit for for naming the ex high think, energy member? I think um, 
I yeah. I I think we have enough there that if you cut my line or bleep it out, then that's yeah. that's fine. <laughs> Obviously, you know this person is is very like shy and retiring mm. and wouldn't want the attention. No. So I I understand. <laughs> there certainly that. wasn't uh, a, a significant enough scandal involving this person that this has made it to pop bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, um, so yeah, yeah. Obviously, it does it does go wider, but it does kind of raise questions. And I don't want to paint Suze Kempner out to be some kind of like incredibly fragile victim. This is somebody who has absolutely given as good as she's got. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess if you're a comedian, you have to. Yeah, but, you know, she was brilliant. Yes, um, it's uh, yeah. It's just sad that. Again, being a woman in fandom, you just have to talk about this all the time. Um, But I made a choice to cover Doomsday on a podcast. If I didn't like Doomsday, I would simply not comment on every single video about how much I don't care about this, because that might give off the impression that I actually cared about it quite a lot. (sighs) Yeah, it's it's one of those things where... People weirdly get mad when they experience stuff that isn't hyper targeted at them specifically. They are they are uncomfortable when we are not about me. Yeah. Um. So speaking of things that that are about me uh, or us, mm. this podcast. Um. I guess we should talk maybe a little bit about where you know. We, we've had a few people say like, oh, can't wait to see what you do next. And I think to manage expectations, we probably don't want to be tied to doing a podcast indefinitely forever no. about what started out no. with a short-term podcast. We we might, obviously, if Doom turns up in the Star Beast, you'll hear us next week. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, we might do more. Uh, we might do more now and again. Um, but I would say this will probably be it. And don't, expect anything and i suppose um i mean you can talk about archiving you're the techie one yeah so basically to actually make this podcast available on all the platforms that it is available i do have to pay some money to podbean and uh if we're not going to be publishing new episodes i'll probably get the episodes into some kind of a zip file and put it up somewhere else on the internet and point people from the Podbean feed to that rather than keep paying uh, for for maintenance of a podcast that we don't actually post anything on. How would you describe the Podbean fees in terms of June 2023 issues of Doctor Who magazine? It's slightly more than ten ninety nine a month, but oh, not by okay. much. That's that does add to the final cost quite a bit, actually. But um, well, it's not the final cost of Doomsday. Is the you know it's the it, cost it would of add, us yeah. choosing to take extra psychic damage. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, what has been your favourite psychic damage that you've taken from this podcast? Oh God, my my favourite psychic damage. Um, there, there have been quite a few instances. I, let me, let me kind of step back a little bit and and say that I've I've learned a lot about how 
podcasting works behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I I listen to a whole bunch of podcasts myself. Um, making one wasn't that big of a step for me technically because as a musician, I I have most of the tools here and already. We should, we should say, like again, peek behind the curtain. Philip sets up the recording. Edits the podcast, does the music, does Podbean, put it all out. I show up and talk and then eventually get round to transcribing it. <laughs> so, like, massive thank you to Philip for making this possible. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's been fun. It, it has it has been quite fun. What I hadn't realised is that, and perhaps I should have realised this earlier, the most difficult part isn't the technical side of things. It isn't finding stuff to talk about. It's the logistics of doing podcasts with guests. And our guests have been absolutely lovely. Is that scheduling everything? That's the nightmare bit. Especially for the audios, because like, you know, like um, James, Ashworth and, you know, again, and Bryn, like we basically had them earmarked for the audios for quite some time, but... It isn't just, oh, this is out when you free. You have to allow everybody time to listen to quite a lot of audio amount of their existing schedules. And then after that, so I think there was probably a good six weeks or so, maybe slightly less than that, maybe about a month between dying hours coming out Mm -hmm. and us sitting down to talk about the crowd yeah. we're in. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing is that there's so much big finish we have to do that twice. Yeah, exactly. Um, so <laughs> but yeah, we've we've been really lucky um with with all of our guests. And then in terms of like the actual favorite bit of psychic damage that, that I've taken uh from Doomsday itself, it will have to be the phone game. Uh, mm-hmm. the 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 finest source of psychic damage in the galaxy, <laughs> just having to give it at least an honest go the first time round. The second time round, I, I was like, no, I'm doing the absolute bare minimum on this, and you can't tell me otherwise. But uh, Philip, what if, what if you <laughs> wanted to win the master? What the the the, the master was that the master? It's apparently. It, it it was it, it was a guy labeled as the master. Yes. It looked nothing someone, like Sasha. Yeah, yeah. Someone <laughs> someone looked at Patrick Troughton. Someone looked at the second doctor and thought, "What if he was South Asian?" <laughs> um, but maybe I'm not sure. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Again, uh, it, it it has been it has been quite fun to sort of uh, instructive as well to go through the publishers other games on on mm-hmm. the on the play store to see what sort of shenanigans they they get up to outside of doctor who and uh saying that oh it's all the same game <laughs> i think you know obviously the phone game was a lot of psychic damage um i would say again i i keep bringing it up but i bring it up because it's funny the fact that Penguin had Doom labelled as he, him, right up to the point that that went out to booksellers. Mm. So major, hugely successful booksellers with, you know, hundreds of thousands of employees had website listings up with a final cover showing Suze Kempner as yeah. Doom. Yeah. And it's and he, himming Doom throughout. Um, like it was some really emblematic. Some have fixed yes. it after launch, but it was it was still a case of 
and this is, you know, full blame on Penguin for oh, this yeah. because there, there was definitely multiple people at, you know, WH Smith at, uh, at all the other other booksellers. At- and amazingly were like yeah. the fu- they were the, they were on it with fixing yeah, exactly. it exactly um, like, but it, not, it, not the it ones was, you necessarily expect yeah, yeah. It, it was it was fully up on multiple booksellers websites as he him uh, shortly after launch we haven't checked now I, I would expect that they will have fixed it now but multiple people at those booksellers would have gone hey that's Doom on the cover is that a he him and then probably looked at the book and gone, no, she uses she her pronouns throughout. Is is that a he him? And and someone must be like, well, look, it's it's penguin uh, that's giving us the blurb, and we yeah, can't we can't fix go against yeah. penguin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think the reason it stuck out to me was like it gave us a lot of insight into how the series was made. Firstly. And this was picked up again in some of the big finish behind the scenes, but the idea that this wasn't necessarily written for Suze Kempner, but that at some yeah, point... certainly the novel wasn't, yeah, but, but But that at some point, it sounds like she was basically headhunted for this. Mm. So that's an interesting insight into the process. It also shows us that the corporate partners weren't talking to each other, which, once we knew that... yeah explained a lot of other things. Yes. Um, yeah. Like the fact that she went to Storm Cage twice and the fact that in the phone game she knew everything about the Doctor, but in the, you know, in the Missy comics she yeah. didn't and, and things like that. Um, so once like, once that fell into place, it really explained a lot. And like this, this is a bit weird because if you only listen to... The big Finnish audio and the BBC audio, you would you would have gotten an impression that actually the corporate partners were talking to each other because they used the same audio assets for for some of the effects. They used the same opening theme, same Terry voice. Yeah, same Terry voice. Yeah, I love I love again that Suze Kempner thought that up on the fly, <laughs> and then Becky Wright, who had already been cast, yes. had to learn to do the accent. <laughs> So they were uh, talking to each other. They weren't talking to Becky Wright, which yeah. is, uh, but, well, but she does it. She does it know. brilliantly. Um, um, but it, it does. It does basically feel like to me there were two streams of Doomsday. It, it was th- there was the Doomsday that BBC actually exercised some control over, and then there was the filler. Yeah, because I guess Big Finish, while it is a distinct company. Um, I, it sounds like BBC, they got a bit more direction from BBC. Yeah. And I don't know whether that's because obviously they're very established at Doctor Who Audio. Yeah. Um, and they're obviously talking to BBC all the time, being like, can we have the license for the Pating, please? Or, or whatever <laughs> it may be. Um, so, like, it seemed like that relationship was very solid. Um, but the, and I guess, like, you know, I guess Doctor Who magazine would have been similar since they obviously have to have quite close links with yeah. the production team of yeah. the mainline show. Other than that, I mean, the phone game. Oh, God, the phone nobody game. Nobody involved in that no. knew what a Doctor Who was. <laughs> um, I'm surprised your favourite bit of psychic damage wasn't from derealisation, etc., etc. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's not Doomsday's fault, though, yeah. is it? That's because autism is a developmental condition. <laughs> 
But yeah, I think the other bit of psychic damage again was like, I wanted to follow Doomsday because I read our one and I really Mm -hmm. genuinely enjoyed our one. And you, I don't know what this is like for listeners because on that first podcast, certainly I was really quite earnest about this. And then eventually the Doctor Who magazine supplement landed and we read that. We were actually on a train to my parents. Yeah. Um, and we both we both got a copy, $10.99 each. So we'd had a good laugh about that. But we were on, the, we were on this train and we were quietly reading our supplements and... We kind of had this, it sort of fell apart towards the end, but mm. we kind of had this agreement that we weren't going to talk to each other that much about it um, so that we could save it for the podcast. And But it was just the looks on our faces of what the hell have we let ourselves in for? Mm. Is it going to be like this the whole way through? And to be fair, it wasn't, but that was probably another highlight of the psychic yeah. damage for me. Yeah, no, definitely. Um... um... I don't want this yeah. to end. Well, look, but like, I, to, I'm glad that Doomsday end has ended. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that we aren't constantly thinking about when we will next be recording the podcast or editing the podcast or arranging the podcast or listening to the next Doomsday Media. I do have to think about transcriptions a lot I, because I am very behind on those. I'm really sorry, but uh, yeah. I, I wanted to talk a little bit about sort of this as a form of posting and engagement with the Doctor Who fandom in general because I'm mm. I'm the sort of fan who doesn't really engage with the fandom that much. I think that's actually a majority of, yeah. of fans of anything. I think it is mostly like y- you have you have sort of three three circles on this Venn diagram and they're all sort of, you know, variously interlocking but you have the scene you have the community and you have the fandom in general uh and you sort of see that in in all kinds of stuff you have you, you see that in professional circles as well right you uh but i i certainly think that the majority of fans are content with consuming whatever content they they find uh agreeable mm-hmm. um they might post a couple things about it on on their social media they might not you have yeah you have the community who who set up uh discussion forums of of different kinds like on on facebook on discord on or actual web forums remember those and then yeah you you have you have the scene uh with super fans who themselves become moderately famous within those circles for for having specific opinions or for mm-hmm. making the thing they're fanish about enough of their personality yeah. that it kind of makes them unique for it. And then within a smaller circle than that, you have the members of the scene. Like, and I say this ironically, people like Chris Chibnall mm. who go on to them... Yes. Be be involved in the show and being the target of these people. Yes, exactly. Which is like a beautiful circle of life. Yes. Um, um, the the life cycle of of Doctor Who is now a closed system. No, the the sort of broader point about posting that I wanted to make is that this is essentially a high effort form of posting that we're doing here, 
And to a certain extent, it has transformed my relationship with with posting. Um, <laughs> I think it it has made me want to post less on the sort of throwaway ephemeral social media like Twitter, like Blue Sky, like Mastodon. All of which have basically been in the mainstream since we've been doing this podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, it, it, it sort of, to me, I think I started valuing more thought out uh, opinions and, and things like, look, I am not starting a substack. And However, you can follow Philip's Substack on. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. I am not starting a Substack, but I, I appreciate the fact that some of our friends are actually. Evan has started a Substack. You can you can follow them on uh Evan257. Uh we'll we'll put a link to that. Um If you like maths yeah. and Doctor Who. Yeah. And maths about Doctor Who. Exactly. Um yeah, no, I'm I'm really glad you brought this up actually, because I I mean, there's a few different things in there. Thinking about fandom engagement, I, you know, kind of got into Doctor Who in a slightly weird way I won't go into, um, but actually became this obsessive about it through the community I found, again, through university, but then meeting their friends and their friends and, you know... Um, I have been quite active on social media over the years, largely on autism stuff, but also, you know, the Doctor Who community is there. Um, I have been really quite jaded about being engaged in fandom uh, for the past little while for basically, I don't want to flog, you know, the point thousands of times, but basically for all the reasons I mm. have spoken about already, about why being a woman in fandom is really quite difficult at the moment. That doesn't necessarily mean that I haven't still been engaged with the show. We've talked a little bit about the classic Who rewatches um, that I started in lockdown and that we've picked up again recently. But when we talked about when I was like, oh, I want to get into Doomsday, and that became, oh, let's start a podcast. For me, it was a way of being engaged with fandom again. Um, mm. I really liked the idea, and I think John talked about this yeah. in the episode we did with him, about like this niche thing that probably isn't going to be that popular. This can be my thing, and I can be like a Doomsday expert, and I can make this like a bit of my personal brand as a Doctor Who fan in much the same way that, again, people like John did with Time Lord Victorious. Yeah. Um, and I really, that bit really appealed to me. And I think I still really enjoyed that. And even though, you know, Doomsday has, again, had the, the fandom responses, had those kind of problems, I haven't been arguing about it on Twitter. I've been kind of, having some really interesting conversations yeah. with people and with you. It was and, amazing. Yeah, and it was very fun. And I guess regarding posting as a general thing, again, I kind of... I've been quite disengaged with it for a while. The whole thing with Elon Musk buying and then breaking Twitter hasn't helped, but like, I found some of the things around the pandemic really difficult. Um, and again, you know, even the things that were meant to be fun, like talking about Doctor Who, became a bit of a cesspit sometimes. Um, so I, I've kind of 
moved away from that. And I've been having similar thoughts. Um, I have. Mm. I don't mind saying this. I have, in the past few weeks, seriously considered setting up a Substack. Um, and you can follow Georgia on. <laughs> um, I, I'm kind of, I'm still on the fence about that or my existing blog, maybe reviving that. Um, probably not about Doctor Who, put it that way. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I have had similar thoughts about, like, long form writing. I, I'm, if you haven't worked this out, verbal conversation isn't necessarily my, like, strength in terms of how I like to communicate. I mean, looking um, at the waveforms right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> this is the thing. Uh, see, the thing with writing is you can be the one talking all the time and not feel guilty about it. Um, so, like, yeah, I've been thinking very similar. I think this kind of long-form stuff uh, is is the way to go. However, setting up podcasting is really a faff, and I've been very lucky to have a Philip to do all the techie stuff. Yeah. I, I think, you know... I, I'm glad that we sort of did this as a way of engaging with with the Doctor Who fandom and and the and the community of that. Uh, I, I think it's it's certainly been a very interesting project. Uh, would I commit myself to doing something similar in the future? Maybe not necessarily about Doomsday. I don't know. One of the things that this has done is it's sort of taken. It's taken a lot of time to sort of schedule these things, to to edit these things. Um, we have some music that we both want to make, uh, some as solo things, some together. So you know, you, you can you can have that to look forward to. Uh, or or, or yeah. dread. Or dread. I, either is yeah. fine. Either is fine. I, I say th- I think we should be positive about our own stuff. I can be positive about your stuff. Um... <laughs> That's half of it. That's yeah. a compromise. Um, so yeah, you you can you can definitely look forward to some of that stuff. Um, yeah, and, I, I guess yeah. like the other thing with posting is the fact that, particularly since the summer, as we've had like Twitter really collapsing on itself and other decentralized um, social media that have existed for a while particularly mastodon's been kicking around for a while but like really come to the forefront and become mainstream and mark zuckerberg waded in at one point and like it's been really interesting running a podcast around this time because it's gone from oh you can follow us on twitter at this to i'm here here i'm i'm this username there mm-hmm. i'm this username there and in promoting the podcast it's always a bit of a job. Philip, again, does all the Podbean side. So Philip will tell me the podcast is out. Yeah. And then I will fully spend about half an hour just just solidly posting it on different places. Well, well, I... Obviously, all the stuff that's happened around social media, that would have happened anyway without this podcast. And you would have noticed it without this podcast. But having the podcast at this time and having to do that sign-off and that promotion has made it really hit home. And that's probably amplified some of the feelings you've had around, like, yeah. not liking that kind of hosting very much anymore. Yeah, definitely. Um, what I find particularly funny is that this podcast has been going of, going on for longer than Threads. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Look, look. Look, some people... 
people are on threads. I go on threads sometimes and I see that there are people on there. None of them are people I follow because the feed doesn't work. But, mm-hmm. but they, they're certainly on there. Yeah. Um, yeah. <sighs> All right. I wow. think that's it. I think um, we have everything. Oh, uh, non-existent guest. Do you have anything to plug? Meet me. I can fix him, I swear. <laughs> By which I mean the meep, not Philip. Philip doesn't need fixing. Um, so I am, having just talked about this, I am on, I am Mind the Flap on most of the socials uh, where you can see me try and fail to not post. Um, I have a blog, mindtheflap.wordpress.com, which I might be picking up soon, or I might be using it to plug a substack. Who knows? Yeah, and I am at Minkowski on the website formerly known as Twitter, at FTW on Blue Sky, and at FTW at tilde.zone on the Fediverse. Um, I am also releasing music as Philip Wheeland on Spotify. Listen to it early, listen to it often. Art uh, for this podcast was with the amazing Sam Chowner-Hearn, who bravely endured the psychic damage of Lost in Time with us. Um, and she has an exhibition out, actually. Yes! Stim Cinema at Nottingham Castle. It's on until April. Go see it. Go see um, it. Music for this podcast has been by the incredible Philip Wheeland. You can check out more of his stuff on Spotify. And I'm really sorry that you might have to hear me in it sometimes. Okay. Um, That's it. You, you, you do the transcriptions occasionally? I, yeah. They, the they, the, they, the they, transcripts yeah. are coming. <laughs> they're, they're coming. Now that I'll have less time trying to organise podcasts, I might get on that a bit more. Yes. Um, that's it. That is it. I don't want to go. I, look, look. Podcast- we've, we've been recording for over an hour and we're just talking to each other. Podcasting has broken us. Bye. Podcaster, whoever you're about to be. Tag, <laughs> you're it. 